Welcome to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Achieving bigger and better results with money, family, and business isn't about creating a bigger to-do list for yourself. It's about who can help you create results without you having to do all the work. Listen as we provide uncommon perspectives, powerful resources, and experienced people that can help you maximize outcomes in your life. Let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome to Maximizing Outcomes with Jim McGovern. Jim, how are you? Eric, I'm doing great. I understand you just got back from vacation, so welcome back. Thank you. Yes, I'm excited I, to be on the show again. <laughs> I've decided, I decided to leave Nebraska to go to some much, someplace much cooler, Texas. Oh, yeah, no, much cooler. It was, it was baking wherever I went. It was just like <laughs> constant baking. Oh my goodness! It, but it was good. Thank you for that. I, I thank you for bringing me back. Uh, I love being a small part of your show and just being able to learn from your guests and you. And today, you do have a guest. Who'd you bring on? I do. We have a great guest lined up. We have Judy Heron, who is a CPA and a tax manager for a firm by the name of Crawford Ellenbogen LLC right here in the Pittsburgh area. And uh, we got a great show lined up for us here. So Judy, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. So Judy is uh, you know, somebody we consider a, a good friend of ours and uh, somebody we love to collaborate with. And we were having a conversation not that long ago. And I just said, hey, Judy, what do you think about coming on the, onto the podcast? And uh, you jumped at the idea and here we are. So we're, we're excited to have you on here. Oh, well, so thanks. I guess just to kick us off, why don't you just tell the audience a little bit about who you are and your background and uh, what you do professionally and a little bit about you personally. Sure. So I, as uh, Jim mentioned, I am a CPA. I work for a firm here in Pittsburgh called Crawford Ellen Bogan LLC. And really, we primarily work with uh, small businesses and their principals to help them get clearer about their financial position, whether it's for a bank, for an investor, or maybe just for their own peace of mind. And it's something I really have a, a passion for and I, I really enjoy. And I'm, I'm so thankful that I have such a good team to work with. And then, of course, good partners outside of the firm like like Jim. And Judy, you've, you've been a CPA for a number of years and um, you have a lot of different types of clients. So just tell us a little bit about how long you've been in practice and, and who some of the people, uh, you know, what, what types of companies you work with, what types of individuals you work with. Primarily, we work with privately held companies, typically between one and five million dollars a year in revenue, but we, we have companies outside of that realm. We also do some work with not-for-profits, so that's not a, the primary part of my practice. Our focus is really the whole business. Do we do tax work? Do we do other kinds of accounting work? The answer is yes, but we don't think about our offering that way. We think of it more as we go in, we start talking with the business owner, we, we see what's going on with them. And we talk to them about how do they use the, the information that they're getting from their financial system to run their business. And often there's, believe it or not, a disconnect. And so we talk to them about how can we turn your numbers into tools that help you. Now, in the context of doing that, you have to look at the numbers from, from a bunch of different directions. So Sometimes we're talking to them about the tax aspects of a transaction. Other times we're talking about how's this going to look for the bank. And of course, always we're thinking about the, the long-term 
plan for the client? Is this an investment year? Is this a time where you're trying to have as much cash available as possible because you actually have some personal needs that take a priority? So again, the focus is what what's going on with the business? How do we enable the things that the business owner is really looking for in a way that maximizes their ability to to be compliant, but not overpaying their tax. And of course, looking at cash flow and, and other items that are always of a concern for the business owner. And with the, the tax code that we have, it's as, as complicated as it is in this country. I, I think a lot of folks consider it to be you know, more of a, an exact science. But you know, in conversations that we've had, I think there's a bit of an art form to you know, how people manage taxes. It's an interesting point that you bring up, Jim. And I can't tell you, I've had a number of clients say to me, oh, you know, I thought I understood what accounting is, but now I see there's an art to it. And that's that's really true. There's a concept that you, that you learn as you're going to become a CPA where they talk about professional judgment. And you need to use that a lot in public practice. It's like given these specific facts and circumstances, really what is the best choice? And sometimes there are a couple of good choices. So what's the best one? I heard a golf analogy years ago. I know a lot of the people who listen to the show are golfers. And when you really know the rules of golf, you can use them to your advantage. Mm -hmm. And that's what we find the same thing in, in the tax world. That if you, if you really know what the rules are, then there's usually more than one, uh, more than one option there for you. Exactly. And then the other thing is, is that people get anxious about sometimes taking deductions that they're entitled to. And they're like, oh, I don't want to do something that'll make me stand out. And that, you know, oh, I don't want to have to be in an audit. But I always tell them that's not what you should worry about. What you should worry about is, Jim, just what you said. They're rules. Are, are you compliant with the rules? If you're compliant with the rules, that's fine. You know, it's not a problem if the IRS asks you a question because you know the answer and you know you have the right answer. Because yeah, I don't think there's any prizes, not that I'm aware of, for legally overpaying your taxes. It's uh, the goal is the is to pay the amount that you're required to pay, but not voluntarily pay more. Yeah, if there's a continuing education class on paying more, I skipped it. So <laughs> you you and me both. What well, nothing to do with that one. So tell us a little bit about you personally. We talked a little bit about your practice, but give us a little bit of background about, uh, about who you are as a, as, a, as a person and tell us a little bit about your son. Sure. So one of the reasons that I live in Pittsburgh right now, I'm originally from New York and actually relocated here from Miami, is my son. My son was adopted when he was two months old. And as soon as we got back from Kazakhstan, where he was born, we went to see a developmental pediatrician as sort of a matter of course. And right away, it appeared there were some issues that were going to need attention. And initially, it had to do with some mild cerebral palsy and then also some sensory integration issues. By the time he was four years old, he was diagnosed with a high-functioning form of autism called Asperger's syndrome. And then subsequently, it's, it's typical for people with Asperger's to be more anxious than most people. But in Chaz's case, he's, uh, he really has extreme anxiety disorder. And so we had this sudden challenge of looking at this child who, who we, we work so hard to bring into our lives and then 
and then loved so much that he was going to have challenges in his life that I certainly hadn't anticipated. And the question was, what's the best way to meet those challenges? And that's a question I'm, I'm still answering. For me, one of the answers was to move to Pittsburgh because a lot of the cutting edge research that's being done on autism and Asperger's in particular is being done here. And what I found was once I moved here, and remember, I had been in New York and Miami, it's not like there was a shortage of medical professionals in either place. But when I moved here, there was a, a level of interest and intrigue in terms of creating an outcome for Chaz that would be the best available. And if you're just reading the book on, you know, here's what you do for people on Asper with Asperger's, that's how you treat them. But here it's been more like, oh, would he like to participate in this study? Or we have this group we've been working with and we're seeing really exciting outcomes. We think we should try this. Chaz was also able to go to a special school referred through his public school that focuses on kids with Asperger's. And one of the challenges that people with autism have is, of course, socially, they're not adept. And so often the teenage years are the really difficult ones. Because we live in Pittsburgh, Chaz had the opportunity, to, or I should say in the Pittsburgh region, Chaz had the opportunity to go to a school that's run by the Watson Institute that works on socialization issues for teens with Asperger's. He had a bunch of friends in high school. They're still friends. He's going to college. I feel like none of these outcomes would have happened if we had been anywhere else. And I am I'm, I'm so thrilled that the, the story is, is turning out the way it is. That's not to say that, that Chaz doesn't still have things he's, he's working hard to, to do so that he can function in the world. I, I like to think of the challenges Chaz faces as a term I heard once called differently abled. And I, I really like that idea because it, it's not so much he has disabilities, but he's differently abled. And given how he views the world and how he operates in the world in a way that's different than me, for example, what, what are the best outcomes for him? I mean, Jim, it's, it's really like what we were talking about it, with the way that, that I practice public accounting. It's like, what's the best outcome for, for the specific client that you're dealing with? And I, I've just been so fortunate, both in my practice and my personal life, that I, I've found a lot of good resources here. Yeah, we, we really do have amazing resources here in the Pittsburgh area. I mean, I, I think Pittsburgh is, is known for, you know, the, the standard that it sets in, in the medical world. But it's funny you mentioned, like, with the public accounting, you know, we're looking for the, you know, the best option, the best outcomes. But it's not always as straightforward, you know, when, when you're raising Chaz. I mean, I'm sure there wasn't quite the, uh, the playbook to go from. So how did you really start to explore these different options for him, like with his, with his health care, his education? Who did you turn to? I started with the providers that healthcare providers I was using. And because we had early on been working with neurologists, developmental pediatricians, that list of when we moved here, who, who do I contact, who will continue his, his plan of care, I had as my starting point. What I now know is the place that you should really start 
is with your your county office. The place that you really want to start is your county IDA program. And you get this through the Department of Human Services. And IDA is related to intellectual disabilities. And when you contact them and say, I have a child who has these needs, they will start looking for plugging you into the resources that you need. Every county is a little bit different. The programs are similar, but the idea is they say, okay, if you have this kind of diagnosis, these are the places you need to go. These are the tests that you need to take. And then you can start working with providers that are going to be helpful again in your specific case. It doesn't mean you can't use the medical providers that you started with. Typically you can, sometimes it, it doesn't work, but it also works with allied health professionals or other programs that are run by an agency. For example, Chaz met friends through his high school, but he also was able to attend socialization groups. And that had to do with the agency that I was referred to by the county that helped me put him in touch or helped put me in touch with people who would identify a group that would give Chaz a chance to work on his social skills. As a parent, were you able to join and be a part of any any support groups that uh, also served as a good, I, I guess, a good uh, a good area to, to learn things from other parents or, or bounce things off of them and, and pick their brains? Exactly. You are you are so right to bring that up, Jim. I did. I joined a parents group. I actually over the years joined a couple of them. Some of them concentrate on certain areas like one of them was on diet for kids with Asperger's because there's a lot of work being done that way. And also kids with Asperger's tend to be really picky eaters. And I was really worried. There was a point when Chaz was really little, he would only eat orange color food. So I knew that meant he would get enough <laughs> vitamin A, but it had it limits the diet quite a bit, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I I found, though, by attending these groups that, one, you meet other parents who are going through the same things. And that's helpful to you because part of having a special needs child is recognizing that now you have special needs in terms of a, a support system for you. Because you're never at a point where you can say, OK, I've got all the answers. We know now exactly what we need to do as your child gets treatment things change. They maybe need a different kind of treatment. They need more of something, less of something. As they get older, new symptoms emerge. With Chaz, with the cerebral palsy, he's mobile, but his needs around maintaining mobility have changed over the years. And so we, we actually work with a medical professional called a physiatrist, which I didn't know existed before. <laughs> and they, they monitor how Chaz's body is changing and the things he needs to do to, to make sure that his mobility stays intact. And that's just one of a, a lot of examples of how this is a, a dynamic situation. There's a, there's a person on the other side of this. The other thing, of course, you have to think about is it's great while you're here to work with your child and work with the care professionals, but the nature of parent-child relationship is that some at some point, you're not going to be around anymore. So it's also really important pretty early on to start thinking about 
what's what's it going to look like if I'm really not able to be present and front and center for for the caregiving and the support. And one of the key things that I discovered that I'm just relieved about every single day is the idea of setting up a special needs trust, which means that there'll be money set aside for Chaz that can be dispensed to augment other services he can get, but won't limit his ability to get other services. And there are people, if you have someone that you trust, they can administer the trust. But there are also people who can do the administration, again, if if you're not available to do that. And it's it's a little, there's a, there's a fair amount that goes into setting it up. You have to work with an attorney who specializes in this area. In my case, the trust is primarily funded through life insurance. So I had to work with a professional like Jim to get the correct setup for the life insurance. But now that I know it's there, I know no matter what, Chaz is going to be taken care of. And that is something that it's really nice to to go back to when I'm having a tough day. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to know. I mean, I think it's every parent's worst nightmare. It's their biggest fear is, you know, what's going to happen to my child when I'm gone? And, you know, having that kind of a game plan in place certainly helps you sleep a little better at night. But I want to bring something up. And we, mm-hmm. we can spend a minute on this because you, you, you touched on it, but I want to go a little bit deeper. You know, not everybody has somebody that they say, you know, this would be the ideal person that if I'm not here, they can handle the trust, they can handle the finances. Or other times people have somebody, but maybe they're worried about, well, they're about the same age as me. What happens if they pass away as well? There may not be a lot of continuity. And that's where trust companies can come into play. Yeah, I was so fortunate that I worked with an attorney who who I met actually through the networking with parents of people who are dealing with special needs situations. And in her case, uh, she has a special needs child as well. And so she was so well versed in here are the options for companies that you can contract with that will uh, know correctly how to manage the trust and make sure that it's used appropriately. And gosh, you know, what, what a relief that was. Yeah, it's, it's a highly, highly technical area. And uh, we're actually going to try and bring a, a trust company onto a future episode to talk about some of the little details of even things like you're in a store and you're making a purchase. Well, there's some things that you really should be funding through the trust. Other things you should not be funding through the trust and knowing the difference is not, it's not really easy sometimes for the, the lay person to, to figure this out. So we have a lot of families that even with a really competent trustee that's a close family friend, sometimes they name the trust company as a co-trustee that can handle all the all the detail work. Yeah. And can certainly no. continue to give people some relief and focus on what's important, which is the people the trust is serving. Exactly. Because the thing is, in, in particular with a special needs trust, this is not something where Chaz can advocate for himself. I work with him a lot on that topic, and it's one of the things that really comes up as a special needs child becomes a teenager, is how do you teach them to advocate on their own behalf, again, with the idea that you want them to be as high functioning in public as as they can be. And so teaching him about his medication and how to get his prescriptions 
from the physician's office, how to then pick them up at the drugstore, how to make sure he's taking the appropriate medication and the appropriate timeframes, all things like that he's had to learn, but now he, he handles that himself. But things like managing the trust, that's, that's never going to be, at least in Chaz's case, something he would be able to handle. And who are some other people you've surrounded Chaz by who, again, if you weren't here tomorrow, who can continue to look after him just you know, on a, on a person-to-person level? Yeah, well, that's been been another case where I've just been so fortunate. It's it's so interesting how people who you sometimes meet in a different role end up playing an increasingly important role. The we have someone that we initially met who worked with Chaz as a behavioral therapist and still does, but he's become much more active in his life and is certainly part of all the plans for how we're going to move forward if I'm not around. And he also has expertise in the various county mental health systems, or I guess it's called behavioral health now. And that's really also helped guide me through the labyrinth of once you reach out to the county, who else do you need to be talking to there? Again, this is another area where parents can be helpful to you. And then the other thing is just keep asking questions because often people who work in a public sector setting are anxious about bringing up things that they think you might not understand, that they think they might get in trouble for suggesting. And a good friend of mine once said, nobody gets fired for not telling you about benefits that are available to you. And so it really taught me early on to ask when I'm there, you know, Chaz has been having some trouble with his speech lately. Is there a good speech therapist around here? Are there other professionals that help with things like that on the autism spectrum? Because the, the other thing you don't know, or at least I don't know, is how something that a behavior that manifests in one way can actually be connected to something different. Hmm. And you need to know who's the right professional to handle the particular set of behaviors that are coming from your child. And again, the exciting part about being in Pittsburgh is that you have professionals who know enough that they can say, oh, this needs a speech therapist, but you should also be seeing an occupational therapist related to this kind of behavior. And stuff like that has come up over and over again. And and I haven't really had... I, I wouldn't have encountered it any other way. The other place, of course, where I have made a lot of progress in terms of building my understanding and also getting more support had to do with the other children that were in, in the socialization groups and at Chaz's high school, because they also, you know, the other parents have, again, have similar problems, similar ideas. And then in particular there, you're, you're really in a group. When you go to a big parents group, they're parents with lots of kids with different needs. But in the case of Chaz's socialization group, Chaz's class, those parents, their kids are really similar. So we can really be supportive of each other. We can do outings together. We can do parties together. And, and that makes a difference, not just for the kids, but also for the parents as well. So Judy, obviously there's a lot to balance as a parent. I mean, you're running a successful practice. You're, you're caring for, for Chaz and 
you know, there, there's other costs that come into play with, you know, just healthcare in general, but also just the, the needs that Chaz has. There's a lot of extra expenses that come along the way. And that, that can be difficult to balance, you know, preparing for your own retirement, but also setting up Chaz. So shift gears a little bit in the conversation and just talk about some of the financial side of this. What are some things that, that parents should be thinking about when they're, they're looking at ways to, to save money, whether it be on just the cost of some of these things or, or save on taxes? What are some things they should be thinking through that you know, maybe are a little bit less common thoughts when it comes to preparing financially? Sure. So there, there really is a, a challenge in terms of the out-of-pocket for medical care costs because you have all kinds of different sources of funding and certain care is only available through your private insurance. Some will be available through Medicaid. There are, uh, depending on the nature of the disability, there are Medicaid benefits that will be available to you regardless of income. And again, this gets to get connected with the county and ask questions to see where where is that available to you and, and, and how is it appropriate to your family's needs. The other thing to think about is some of the things that you're going to do for your child to be helpful aren't necessarily medical costs, but they're really important for his care. So like, for example, with Chaz, like I said, he has cerebral palsy, but he's, he has mobility. He's able to walk on his own, but he swims a lot. And that was important when he was younger, because it was one of the few things he could do one of the few sports activities he could do without falling. He also had some depth persistence, perception issues with his vision that, again, the swimming made that not an issue. And swimming lessons aren't a medical expense, uh, <laughs> but they they are uh, they can they can add up. That said, join the Y. It's a great place. And, and we've we've spent a lot of time there and, and gotten a lot of swimming in for a relatively low cost. The now, Judy, others- if, the, if the doctor prescribed a swimming pool, would that be a deduction if well, we get a prescription for that? Here's here's an interesting thing. So medical deductions are are tricky, and unfortunately, the way the tax code is right now, you don't get access to them until you've actually spent a lot of money already, because the deduction doesn't start until you pass a certain threshold of a percentage of your income. So by the time you're deducting medical expenses, they're pretty big. Usually when a, a client comes to me and they say, oh, you need to see my medical bills, I think, oh, there's, there's some problem in the family. That said, when you have a special needs child, that can be a circumstance where, yeah, over pretty much every year, you have significant medical out-of-pocket medical expenses to the point where they become deductible. So some of it is just deducting things like prescriptions and doctor visits. But sometimes, particularly in a case like we were just talking about, there may be changes to the infrastructure of your home that are required. And if a doctor does say, you know, you need to build this kind of ramp, I, I don't actually know if a swimming pool <laughs> is covered by this, but, but it might be. But the idea if the doctor says, look, this is really important. This is for, for the person to function appropriately. All those costs are deductible. 
So there, there, are, there are tax opportunities. Again, it's all very precise. It's all very nuanced. You, you, need, you want to sit down with a tax professional and go through it, but it's certainly something that you want to think about because, yeah, it's gonna, this child is going to cost more than, than someone who doesn't have all these medical issues, and, and you're going to need to budget for it and, and think about it strategically throughout his life. And I think this is true for pretty much anybody, but I think especially with what we're talking about today, but I, there's a major difference between tax preparation and tax planning. You know, I, I think a lot of folks, and I hear this all the time, I'm not a CPA, I'm sure you hear it way more than I do, but you know, there'll be a lot of people that don't want to file their taxes like right at the deadline and they go, hey, you know, I got to save money on taxes. It's like, well, that's there's not much that can be done at that point. But if you're proactively thinking about these things, I think that's really where people can start to plan in advance and, and make the most out of the expenses that they do have. No, Jim, that's, I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's it's a really important point. I, I do think the place where we offer the most value at Crawford Ellen Bogan is really around ta- tax planning. When you're doing tax planning correctly, it gives the client also a sense of Yes, this is the direction I'm going. These are the kinds of things I should be thinking about. And it helps the two of you really work together more as a team. They're not going to know the answer to every question, but they'll know things to present to you and ask you about because they know in general, okay, here are my areas of opportunity. And I want to also emphasize at this point, if you have a family business, there are more planning opportunities in those situations than anywhere else. So that's one of the reason why our practice is so focused on closely held businesses and their principles, because that's where we can help with the business tax planning and we can help with the personal tax planning. Yeah, there's a lot more complexity, but that complexity is really what creates a lot of these opportunities. Exactly. Is that a fair statement? That is so true because it also gives you choices because you do have a number of configurations. So it's it's not only that it gives you opportunities, but it gives you opportunities that allow the client, the business owner to say, you know what, this is what really fits my need. And Judy, you work with a wide variety of companies, right? I mean, you, you work with them from startup to companies that are successful and now the owners are looking to exit. Exactly. And the, one of the really fun things about being in public practice is that you you do have companies where you make the whole trip with them. You, and it's very exciting. And often the nature of someone who's an entrepreneur is they start a company, they grow the company, they get to the point where the company is really valuable. And what they really wanted to do is start a new company. Do it all over again, right? Yeah. So they sell that company. They start another company. Then you get to do it all again. And Serial entrepreneur. That's right. Exactly. And and that that's a, a differently abled person that I really enjoy working with. So Judy, if, if somebody's listening and whether they, they own a business or you know, they're just an individual that that has a situation that might be pretty complicated. Do you guys sit down with them and just kind of walk through what their current situation looks like and, and kind of give them a second opinion? I mean, how would somebody go about, I guess, comparing your brain and the way you approach things versus maybe what they're currently experiencing? You've brought up a really important point, Jim, because the thing about working with an accountant is a lot of it has to do with what I call fit. Not everybody's 
personality matches when when you meet and start to work together. And the fact is, as you well know, financial planner has the same issues. You're dealing with really intensely emotional and very personal stuff. People's finances is, is a really hot area. And so you want it to be someone that you're going to connect with and communicate well with. So we really insist that if you call us and you're interested in working with us, we want to talk to you first because we we don't want to say, okay, yes, just plug and play. We'll just take care of this tax return. We, we want someone that we can collaborate with and work with. And that's really going to feel like they have an ally in, in their accountant. And that's something that you can only know by sitting down and talking through the approach that you're looking for and and how you want to work together and i guess if if you you do take a new client and you're working together what what does that first year together or year or two look like is it something that you meet with them on a pretty regular basis or is, is it kind of a just a couple meetings throughout the year it can vary by client the key thing though is that we're in touch throughout the year because one of the most difficult things about tax prep is if you don't talk during the year, you're looking over the client's books and you say, huh, in February of last year, it looks like there was some issue with the bank. I don't know. Did something get overdrawn? I better find out. So now I'm calling you maybe 14 months later. <laughs> And saying, you know, last February, there was this issue with the bank and the client will say, oh, yes, it was horrible. But I, I don't remember exactly what happened. So then they're calling the bank and we're going back and forth and there's all this discussion and we finally figure out what was going on. But if we had been talking to you when that issue happened in the present tense, February, we would have known about it. We probably could have given you some advice about how to handle it. And then it's integrated in our notes. So by the time it's tax time, there are no questions to be answered. And that's really the perfect case. It, it rarely happens. But, but if you throughout the year are keeping in touch, sometimes it does involve sit down meetings, bringing in a lot of information about the business. Sometimes you're considering an acquisition, sometimes divesting, sometimes bringing in new financing. There can be all kinds of reasons why during the year we're meeting, but just having that ongoing relationship and a sense of where things are going with the client, it can also help us as we're looking at what are things that are happening with tax laws to say, ooh, you know, we want to reach out to this client and say, here are some things that are in the mix. It looks like for, for new tax laws that are coming up. Think about this in terms of the plans we've just been talking about. And collaboration, I'm sure, is, is pretty important because, I mean, you guys, while you're, you're looking at the books, you're looking at the taxes, there's a lot that you guys handle. There's also a lot more to the overall personal and business balance sheet to the client's world. So how important is it to collaborate with other professionals like the attorney, the financial planner, the insurance agent? It's really essential. And, and I think as, as the world seems to be becoming more and more complicated each day, that becomes more and more important. And it's one of the, the nice things about working with someone like you, that, that we, we have this connection across mutual clients and it just makes things go so much more smoothly. 
it, it allows me to be more proactive because I, I get feedback about things that aren't necessarily high on my radar screen. And you're right. It's not just one person. It's, it's a whole team around a business owner that very typically does involve the attorney and the financial planner at the very least. Yeah, because there, there's some incredibly complicated topics that on the surface probably don't look that bad, but when you start to dig in, it's like there, there's a lot to some of these things. Uh, I don't know the exact answer to this, but I, I'd heard that the tax code, I think it's like, what, 80-some thousand pages long? I don't like, know that. But... It's, it's a lot more than I'm ever going to read in my lifetime. I know that, but there's a lot when... to it. When I was sitting for the CPA exam, one of the first things that the uh, I took a, a prep class, and one of the first things the teacher said, he says, nobody knows the entire entire Internal Revenue Code. And uh, actually, I'm not sure that's the case. There may be people who have memorized the whole thing. But the issue is that the Internal Revenue Code is this set of laws, but the laws don't exist in this robotic place. They're interpreted by various agencies and then they're reinterpreted by courts. So when you're looking at things that are happening with tax law, you look at, here's the tax law. So it seems like it would go this way, but then you say, oh, there are certain court decisions that have come up that make us think you have to be more precise in this case, or you have more latitude in this case. And one of the advantages of working with a CPA is that we're required to do continuing education. And that gives us the opportunity to take out time to look at not only what are the tax laws, but how are they being interpreted? How are they being enforced? And that allows us to, again, create the situation where there's more than one right answer, but what's the best answer for you? Well, Judy, this is uh, this has been a great conversation, and I literally could just continue to talk for like another hour or two. But I think we're uh, we're just about out of time here, so I, I do want to ask you that if somebody's listening and and they just want to reach out, they want to connect with you and just talk about their situation and and get your thoughts on it. What's the best way for somebody to reach you? I would go to the Crawford Ellen Bogan website, Crawford Ellen Bogan LLC, and either and first look it over to see, hmm, is this what I think I'm getting? And then if you're still intrigued, you can email or you can call the office and we can set up a chance to talk. And you're pretty active on LinkedIn as well, correct? Correct. That would be another place you could find and, me. And you're, uh, I think your LinkedIn is, uh, in fact, I got it right here in front of me, linkedin.com slash in slash Judith Heron CPA. And that'll take you right to Judy's profile here. So Judy, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed it and I'm sure our audience will as well. And uh, Eric, let me turn it back over to you to wrap us up. Well, I, I appreciate both of you. Jim, I've known your heart for a long time uh, for folks with special needs. And Judy, thank you so much for sharing your story because obviously there's a good reason that two of you have teamed up and are doing great work for families. So Judy, thank you so much, of course, for being on the show. And, and Jim, thank you for facilitating this and bringing her on the show. And our last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast with Jim McGovern. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Jim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this actually helps others find the show. 
Thanks for listening today. For everyone at McGovern Wealth Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Be sure to follow the show to be notified when new episodes become available. To suggest a topic or guest for a future episode, or learn more about how we can help to maximize outcomes in your life, visit our website at www.mcgovernwealth.com. This podcast is intended for general public use and is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or McGovern Wealth Group, and opinions stated are their own. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Jim McGovern is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. McGovern Wealth Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. CA Insurance License Number. 0F67329. AR Insurance License Number 7119103. California Insurance License Number 0F67329. Arkansas Insurance License Number 7119103. Compliance Number 2022 141614 expires August 2024.